You're listening to PodcastJuice.net. Did you know that Podcast Juice is premium content? Well, check out Podcast Juice All Access. Join today and get instant access to over nine years of great classic podcasts, members-only shows, and more exclusive content. Go to PodcastJuice.net backslash all access and join today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Prince Podcast here on Podcast Juice. My name is Michael Dean. We've got a special, special show for you today. You know, every once in a while, we'll have somebody come through and we'll just shut everything down and we want to really give all the respects and props due. So today we are joined by none other than Mr. Matt Fink, a.k.a. Dr. Fink. Doctor! As I've always wanted to say that, like on the record. But uh, Dr. Fink, <laughs> sir, welcome. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on the uh, the big show, as they say. Hysterical. Uh, man, it's an honor. Listen, let me get this out of the way so I can get my geeked out of the way and just calm myself down. So we are such big fans of what you do and what you have done, uh, of course, of the Prince music and that whole camp. So it's our pleasure to welcome you here into our house uh, with all respect, so this is uh, your home is or my home is your home. Uh, hopefully, uh, you feel comfortable talking with us today. But I just want to let you know that we are very thankful for you to come on. Yes, thank you. My pleasure to be here. All right, I know he's like, "Well, this guy, you shut up." <laughs> it's all good. It's it's that's uh, fine. You're go probably ahead. used to this, like people. Shower me in praise. I love it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there you anyway, go. go ahead. Oh, pause. <laughs> yeah, pause. Uh, also joining me is Mr. Uh, Day Dropping. Sir, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I'm very honored. Honored to be here today. Damn I mean, it's, I'm, I'm sort of starstruck. Uh-oh. I ain't gonna lie. Here we go. We, <laughs> we're jocking today on you, uh, Fink. So just let you know, we are jocking. That's good. Where are you guys based <laughs> out of again? I'm sorry, where so are you I, at? I'm in Seattle, Washington, outside of Seattle. Ernie uh-huh. is, uh, where are you at, Ernie? Uh, Southern California. Way, way Southern California. Ah, you know, there's a chance, a really strong possibility I'll be in Seattle December 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Really? Yes. Okay. Well, there you go, Mike. Some, some, uh, you coming up here for a work or a pleasure? Or? Coming to, to perform with some friends uh, around the Seattle area. Fantastic. And uh, I was out there a couple times last year. I'm surprised you didn't hear about it. Yeah, I didn't hear about that. Oh, well, yeah, that's how it goes. Things are, you yeah. Ever heard, have you ever heard of the, the uh, Nectar Club? Uh, I've been to the Nectar many times, yes. Okay, well, I did a show there. You know uh, what? I did hear about this. Um, you heard about I, that? I, I vaguely sort of remember this, yes. Okay, I, so I we played there, and, okay. yeah, played there, and then, uh, and then there was another thing I did last summer, just a quick little one-off thing at uh, the Sea Monster Club. Okay. Yeah, oh, but anyway, the Sea Monster people uh, are going to bring me back in. They've ex- expanded the club; they've doubled it in size now, and uh, they're they're going to have me join the, their uh, band that plays. They're kind of like a house band. They do a mm-hmm. lot of the Minneapolis sound stuff. They do a lot of Prince and Time. And, who who is this band? <laughs> uh, they're called. Uh, this <laughs> that's a good question now oh. you got me I, i'm stumped right now oh, my bad the name of the the name of the band oh geez we'll figure um it. it'll come to me i'd have to go back and hunt around in uh in some e- emails to make sure about the name because they change it from time to time it oh, depends okay. on what they're doing 
Well, I definitely got to check that out. They're doing from, many. Uh, there, uh, let's see. Oh, boy, it, I'll try to look it up while we're on here. I'll just go on my uh, yeah, that's, that's cool. we'll, we'll emails. But anyway, I apologize. It's not coming to me at the moment. But um, right. they, they, they're based, the owner of the Sea Monster, that guy, uh, his name is Andrew Nunez. Hmm. He leads the band and he does the prince you know sound alike vocals and all that for the group interesting but they also all those band members do a james brown tribute too every week i was about to say james fairly often so they do both artists but and andrew's not involved with the i don't believe he does the james brown thing but he does the uh, the prince thing and i've joined them now a couple times on stage you know do a set for uh, the one at the Nectar with them, and then one at their at his place. So, nice. uh, but I can't remember what they call themselves at that, at that point. <laughs> I well, apologize. Hopefully, he's not listening to this part. Here. No, he may. He may. He won't be upset. <laughs> it's just that you know they have they they all play with different <clears throat> groups at different times. So that's why gotcha. I'm a little trying to figure it out. Remember which one it was. All okay, right. so go go ahead. It's <laughs> <laughs> all good. All right. Um, so, man, I want let, let's go. I want to go back to the beginning here of, of your roots. And I know you're from uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis. Um, mm-hmm. What got you into music? Let's start there. Uh, probably I'd have to give that credit to my parents. They uh, they started me fairly young, you know, to, uh, taking some piano lessons. I think I was around seven at the time. Hmm. And they hooked me up with the, uh, you know, couple different teachers i think i let's see had one teacher who came in and then another one then a third one and then a fourth one so i went through about four teachers growing up these like private lessons or you yeah private lessons private lessons so they they got that going and uh so by the time i was about 14 i remember requesting uh getting with a a uh a teacher that could teach jazz, improvisational jazz, and, oh, wow. and also pop music, that kind of thing. Because all the teachers prior to that were more classical, piano-oriented okay. people. So I was had been, you know, mainly just playing classical piano. And a little, but I was already in a band then. Uh, by the time I was 12, I'd, I'd done my first wow. gig playing somebody's private bat mitzvah party i think it was (laughs) all right and uh so yeah some girl we all went to school with said hey can your band play at my party and i went sure why not (laughs) so we did the party and uh and then the rest is history so i got hooked on playing with the band and then wanted to expand my horizons uh by learning some jazz playing style piano i wanted to learn all about that so that's when uh i switched to that teacher i stuck with that person for another four years or so and uh and then by the time i was 20 just a few months shy of my 21st birthday Mm -hmm. i auditioned for prince and that's when i uh, met up with him okay so that's interesting and and real quick i want to introduce a big sexy and sack another one of our hosts is here so welcome, sir. Uh, thank you. I apologize for being late. I got caught up in court. Uh, Dr. Fink, it is a pleasure to meet you, and thank you for joining us today. Why, thank you. Are you uh, a court uh, a lawyer? or a, <laughs> <That's> a criminal. <laughs> are, you, are you a criminal? What are you? What are you doing in court? 
I'm an attorney and I'm also a sports agent. <clears throat> a what again? Sports agent and attorney. Oh, that's a great combination. That's great. <laughs> All okay. right. Um, so getting to your 20 years old, coming from what sounds like classically trained uh, years of training, uh, learning how to play. What, what is that like bringing sort of your expertise and, you know, being taught how to play and learn, jumping into or getting in a situation with Prince and I think, you know, Andre Simone and different these people. What, what was it? Did, was it like a smooth transition to come in and say, okay, these cats, they play, I, I can fit right in. Or was, did you have to sort of, did you have to change your style a little bit or what was that like? Well, uh, Leading up to that point, I had been playing some of the R&B and funk material of that time period with uh, one of the bands I was in. So uh, prior to that, it was mainly playing pop rock, and then had an, and then had you know some some of the time uh, after that playing the uh, R&B and funk kind of, and also kind of fusion jazz kind of music as well. Okay. So there's like a mixture of that going on before joining Prince. So when I came in uh, adopting what he was doing, albeit not extremely easy to learn, uh, some of it was a challenge for me, you know, but uh, technically I was ready. So it was just a matter of, you know, if I was stumped on anything, I would just say to him, I'd say, hey, can you just show me what you played on the record or what? You know, and that's that's why he hired me because uh, when I when I auditioned, there was a song that I was trying to play a part on, and he you know you couldn't hear it very well in the mix. Mm. So I said to him, I said, if you show it to me, I bet you I can play it pretty quickly. And so he did. He showed me the part, and then I picked it up really fast and played it for him. And I think that impressed him because that way he could communicate to me. That way he wasn't real fluent yet in theory communication if you know what i mean did i lose you no you're good oh okay uh theory at that time but he he you know he knew his chords and all that stuff but but still at certain things uh it was easier for him to show mm-hmm. what he played than telling me uh, because rhythm rhythmically you can't tell me what to play unless you write it down i mean you have to show me the notes right and that's something that prince never did with us he he would always hand us uh, finished songs, recordings, and we'd have to learn them by ear. So what I would do is I would create my own chord charts from those or wow. write out parts for rehearsals. So before I could memorize a song thoroughly, unless it was a really easy one, which there weren't too many, but usually <laughs> I would I would chart those out to be able to follow what was happening in the early stages of rehearsal. And then, you know, with repeated playings of the song i would be able to memorize it fairly fast so uh that's how we operated so he never handed so, me any chord charts the whole time i worked for him so ahead. quick question Matt. What, done by was ear. was there ever was it was there ever a situation where you guys were able to collaborate from beginning to end on a song then or was it usually something that was given to you mostly completed um it, it you know i i had co-writes on about six songs with him over the, my time with him. It wasn't a lot of, of material. He did not... Uh, I mean, I played sessions on a number of songs over and above that. But as far as co-writing and, and working on a song with him start to finish, 
there were really uh, a handful of those and usually he would start with the rhythm section with us if we had written something with him or one or the other person did and then he would take it into the studio and finish it up himself with melody and lyrics we usually we weren't around during that process because that's how he liked to work he uh he he really um did lyrics and melody prime uh specifically alone never really collaborated with other people that i know of there may have been some people I'm, i'm not aware of uh i don't think anyone in the band was ever in on lyrics and melody with him though interesting maybe lisa and wendy later on like in like around 1980 five-ish 86 maybe around the world in the day album they may have had a little bit mm-hmm. on a couple songs but that's it um i know that des dickerson did some writing with prince mm-hmm. uh that uh, like a song and with the time i think the song was uh is it after high school or something high school yeah. after high school mm-hmm. after high school and i think the song cool maybe he was involved with that <laughs> but but i'm not i can't remember exactly which ones he had some co-writing on but it might have been those two did you play on any of that time stuff like the first I, album i played on the first album on one song which was called the stick and i did the synthesizer solo work on that song oh wow and that's, that was it that song yeah. jam <laughs> what's, what, what's that again? I said that song is the jam now yes it is that's a good song but no you know i mean uh yeah i believe me if i if if he had allowed more collaboration i would have liked to have had more collaboration with him in fact i was always throwing ideas at him at rehearsals and jam sessions and everything i was always trying to get him to to co-write with me because that's what mm-hmm. i i wanted to do uh but because of his own vision and what he had in his mind uh there was a lack of that sort of thing right. with everybody in general because he he just had his own way of doing things and what he wanted to say and do and mm-hmm. write and that's that's pretty normal for you know someone like like that i mean uh i know other artists like like bruce springsteen and sting and certain people they they did a lot of the songwriting in their bands and then bring the other musicians in to do the parts playing for session work which prince did with us quite a bit but lyrics and melody are really everything and really uh, the majority of the music was performed by him in the studio if you really want to know so all right like 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 for instance like on the song like on the album uh controversy uh what was that song jack you off the band played on that whole song in the studio with him he utilized us for that uh oh, wow. half of the songs of purple oh. rain were the revolution with him playing well, on the songs but 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 he wrote them right he wrote the songs the song computer blue was inspired by a jam session with the whole band uh something that i wrote just jamming on the bass part of the synthesizer inspired wow. the the groove in a way and then because of that he gave me a piece of the songwriting on the on that particular song okay but, but can i ask you about that song since you, you brought it up sure uh computer blue there's a number you know i don't know i'm sure you're aware of this or not i don't know there's a number of sort of versions of that song that sort of circulate among fans 
how how did it go about you know recording that song? You said that he had that song sort of based it off of a riff. I guess you did in rehearsal. But mm-hmm. at, do you guys all play on it though? Once he's like, okay, this is what the song is, and then we're gonna sit here in this warehouse and learn it. Yeah, that's what we did. Yeah, he worked out the arrangement, and I I think we did you know a, a specific version. But then he expanded on it and did a longer yeah. version of the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard there's like a four, there's like a 14 minute version of that. Yeah, there's a really long. I'm trying to remember if we recorded it with him or not, though. That's the one thing. I'm. It's been so long that <laughs> I can't remember for sure. That's all good. That's all good. Yeah. Um, going back to Dirty Mind because I know it is a very classic synth uh, solo part in Head. Yeah, uh, that is mm-hmm. you. And I'm always curious, like, how did that come about? And how long did it take you to do that on the record? Uh, I think I did about maybe six to ten takes of that solo mm. before I nailed one. Where we, you know, we we considered where Prince said, "Oh, that's the one. Let's that's the keeper." And then, even though it was the keeper, there were a couple slight flaws in it. And I said to him, I said, well, you know, it's not perfect. He goes, don't worry about it. I'll clean it up is how he put it. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, okay. So he, he led, left it. And I was a little concerned. I thought, well, what's he mean by cleaning it up? I mean, it's, it's, it's analog tape. You know, in those days, you right. either have to punch in and he would have fixed it himself mm-hmm. or do something else. And what he did where there was a slight flaw here and there, he put some interesting little sound effect over on top of me, what I was huh. playing. And so it was like, <laughs> he did this thing with it, made it growl or he did this weird, almost swishy effect over it so that it covered up <laughs> the slight flaw in my playing. Oh, so okay. anyway, um, right. that's how he, he was able to, to so clean it up, so to speak. So, uh, it turned out really well that way, and uh, and it's just sometimes you know it's funny if he'd left it alone, most people probably wouldn't even notice the slight mistake right. in it. But but still, it was a, a clever way of um, masking it, masking it a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. Well, and so this is interesting, and it looks like I get I get the impression that you are like a studio head type of guy, you know, into gear and into the studio. That's right. The process of how you guys recorded that stuff. You said you said you guys were recording on tape, two inch tape, I'd imagine. Of course. Yeah. And there wasn't no Pro Tools back then and you know nope. all that type of sequencing and different things and you know that we see today. Now you guys had to actually play the songs through, I'd imagine. I mean obviously yeah you can be punched in for certain parts. But Talk to me, if you can, about the differences. Do you think the revolution and those records would have sounded the way they sounded if you guys had, say, Pro Tools or ways to, hey, let's just record this section and then come back and record this section as opposed to playing through? I think it would be the same, but but what would happen is it would, you would, uh, you'd have more flexibility in everything that you do because uh, Pro Tools opens up the ability to do a lot of takes and then edit and comp mm-hmm. in parts from other takes and easier than with analog tape, of course. Um, with analog tape, you just have to use the punching in process to fix something if you make a slight mistake somewhere, uh, you know, and, and then 
the the punching in process has to be done by a really good engineer because right. if the <laughs> if the engineer screws up, then you lose that take completely and you got to start over because it erased something accidentally that was in there. So mm-hmm. or you just have to you know punch in and fix a a bigger spot because uh, he didn't get you out in time or he didn't or he got you in too soon or whatever reasoning. If you don't have a good uh, engineer punching you in and out you're you're in trouble but they did have later they they did have auto punch come in where you could define a section of a song Hmm. on those analog machines and it would just uh, cleanly punch you in and out without the engineer having to do it manually okay uh, like pro tools does but but back in the early days of recording with prince they didn't have that feature yet so it was all done by a deft engineer so you know yeah so it's really yeah those days of analog recording i miss them because analog tape still sounds bigger and wider and and more Mm three-dimensional than pro tools than digital to me it still still has a better sound as a complete uh, snob of studio what what, do you remember what tape you guys was it like uh, ampex quantity what kind of tape were we using? Yeah, you guys even was it, were you guys into it that deep? Like it had to be a certain type of. You know, like... mm, I th- you know I don't know for sure. I think I saw a lot of uh, quantity going on, but there was 3M was in there. Oh right, right. Um, they pretty much just used everything, if oh. I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here, and fellas, if you guys have questions, to jump in. But, well, but Mike, oh, go ahead. Mike, yeah, go ahead. Free mo- move forward, um, Doc. From a visual standpoint, since we're around the Dirty Mind period, uh, from the Prince album up in the Dirty Mind, your visual went from that of a convict, I believe, to the Doctor. What? How did that come about? Unless that's already been answered. And how did that come about? And why the longevity of it? Because it's a great visual. But how did that come about? Well, the the, the Doctor. Uh, came into being because uh, we were on tour promoting the second album, this, the album that had I Want to Be Your Lover as the single, and we were on our first uh, real U.S. tour opening f- as a supporting act for a well-known artist by the name of um, <clears throat> Rick James, as you all know. So on that particular tour, uh, a few shows into it, Prince came to me and said, hey, uh, I think you're going to have to change your stage image because uh, Rick is wearing a jail suit on the song Bustin' Out of L7. And it, he's the headliner. He's in a jail suit. You're in a jail suit. Um, it's too, it's overlapping. So you're going to have to switch up and we need to brainstorm tonight, right now, so we can get it changed. And I go, okay. <laughs> I was a bit disappointed with that at the moment, but uh, I went with it and uh, came up with the doctor look. And they mm-hmm. literally had our wardrobe gal go out and buy me a doctor scrub suit at a uniform shop and all the doctor accessories. And that's uh, how it switched over. And I believe it was um, about third or fourth show into the tour, and we were in Chicago at the time. So uh, that's how that came about. All right. All Interesting. Right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I got a question for you real quick, uh, Matt. Kind of going back to what you were saying in terms of what was recorded versus uh, what Prince did afterwards. You're saying that he a lot of times would do the lyrics. I'm a big lyric guy. 
as far as Prince goes, myself. Did uh, was he forthcoming with explaining some of these lyrics to you guys? If you guys had questions on them, like, hey, what the heck does this mean when you're saying this and that, Prince? Was he forthcoming with that? Because sometimes the stuff that he writes is kind of cryptic. So I'm just kind of curious on that end. You know, if anybody talked to him about it, it wasn't me. I usually, <laughs> I usually just <laughs> took it for face value. I never questioned his lyrics or criticized them or discussed them with him. Unless there were a couple times when I didn't have lyric sheets in front of me, I would hear the, the songs for the first time and I couldn't always understand what they were due to whatever reason, you know, how it was mixed or whatever his enunciation was at the time. Sometimes I would miss a few words and I would say, okay, what, what are you saying there? And then he would tell me what it was. But that would be the only thing because I was having trouble deciphering. So if I asked him what it, words were there, he would let me know, or then he'd get lyric sheets printed up and then I would know for sure what was going on with lyrics. Um, I never asked him about what he meant in certain songs. I usually could figure it out. And uh, even if it was fairly cryptic, I would just go along with it and go, oh, this is fun. You know, the, the Beatles did stuff like that all the time. Led Zeppelin, they weren't always, it was poetry. So some things didn't always make complete sense, but uh, it, it still worked. So in the meantime, um, I just <laughs> I went along with it. I never criticized, and and maybe and it was very rare when I would hear a song that maybe I didn't care for, hmm. and you know it was very rare. But I, but if I didn't care for it as much as some of the other music, I would just let it go and uh, play the song, and it was usually grow on me. There were that it was pretty rare to find a song that I didn't enjoy playing or that I didn't like what he did. It was very that was pretty rare instances. Okay. So, um, it was a good th that was a good thing that I was uh, uh, actually a fan mm. of him as an artist too. So, okay. yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead a lot. So Purple Rain, okay. we we know you know again there's a lot of hardcore fans listening to this. So we we you know Purple Rain was super successful. Plateau, you guys went you know the revolution really got on the forefront. I knew all my <clears throat> mindset. I was so in tune to Wendy and Lisa, Bobby, yourself, and, and, and Mark and what you guys were doing, plus the movie. Well, here's what I always, always wondered. After Purple Rain, after the Purple Rain tour, even maybe during that, you start to see some new additions coming in on that stage. Mm -hmm. And particularly once we get to uh, Under the Cherry Moon, and uh, there was a great video where Prince did that interview in, in Paris, and then you guys performed America which uh, you guys shut it down. But as a very hardcore fan at that time, I was very young. I was like, oh, they got uh, uh, Eddie M, I believe, was up there playing or, or Eric Leeds. Uh, there's some other couple of members on the band. <laughs> like, who, who is this? Now, I know who they are now. But from your perspective, you guys obviously were the unit was, the, you know, the revolution. How did the what did the band make of, you know, Levi's? And, and all these other people coming in, Sheila sort of bubbling under the red. What did you guys think of this? Uh, boy, that, that's a tough one because some people were okay with it. Some some people uh, questioned it at first. It felt a little funny, the chemistry. They were wondering what was going on. But the, the one thing that really precipitated all of it 
was the fact that the band, the family, which was uh, that side project right. that Prince was doing um, back in those days, broke up. And the, the, the leader of that, or the lead singer of the group, Paul Peterson, made the conscious decision to uh, not continue with that group. Mm-hmm. Even though there was the, the debut album, had I think it had been released at that point. Or, and they were, and Prince was getting ready to, or maybe it hadn't come out. I'm trying to remember the timing of it all, but I just, I do know that he walked away from a contract to be signed with Prince's company, NPG Records at that time, or it was more like Paisley Park Paisley Records Park. at that mm-hmm. time. And uh, so he he wanted to have a shorter term contract. Prince and his management team wanted P, uh, Paul to be signed for a much longer period than he wanted. And they couldn't come to terms in their negotiations, and he walked away. So th- that left uh, all these people in the, the family uh, without a job. So he started to incorporate some of those people into the revolution at that time. And that's why that took place. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, so you guys have, uh, you know, so the Parade album comes out and, and you guys are... I assume there's more rehearsals. I mean, I've, I've heard some of these rehearsals, but there are rehearsals with these new additions and also Jerome Benton and uh, Wally and those yeah. guys are in the, you know, the, it sort of takes on a whole different vibe in terms of the presentation and, and right. even some of the instrumentation of the music. Mm-hmm. I, now, again, I'm not there, but I get the impression that somebody like Wendy, she seems like she's a very outspoken type of person if she needs to be. Like you, you guys were the original <laughs> people. Is there a sense of like, man, is this changing the sound up, or was it just like, hey, this is a good challenge. Let me uh, lock in with some of the other players. I mean, was it cohesive unit in terms of you guys being a band, or was it just like, hey, there's just a lot of new people here and things are changing? Like I said, some people. Uh, we're fine with it, and others questioned it. <laughs> that was like, you ain't going to get me on here talking crazy. <laughs> I mean, if you want me to get down to who was uh, making you know, any complaints, I, you know, I, I could do that. No, you but, know what you need to do. That's but in the end, it, yeah, but in the end, uh, it's not about what any, in those days, or any time you worked with Prince, mm-hmm. it wasn't about being able to control the situation. Okay. So you either, you know, if you were going to complain about something and you didn't like it, you had to just go, well, okay, this is what he's going to do and go with it and, okay. and let it be. And, or you could voice your opinion, which rarely was um, taken into consideration. Like you could, you know, you could say, Hey, I don't think this is working or this isn't right. Or this doesn't feel good. Or, you think you can change it. Usually he would make his decisions and that would stick whether you um, liked it or not, so that's kind of where it was. Oh, and yeah, I can respect you know, that. So, so, you know, but you know, hey, you know, that's that's a lot of how a lot of organizations work in this sure. world. We all know that. Um, in the meantime, I didn't have a problem okay. with it, um, although it felt a little funny at first because you're going, "Oh wow, there's new people here." Oh, why? Oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. 
so you're you know you just have to kind of go with the flow and um do the best you can and you got to get along with new people and we all seem to get along okay there was never any conflict with any of the new people so all right amongst any of us really so uh you know all right it wasn't a bad thing by any means it certainly was fun in the end Mm -hmm. to work with everybody so And and I ask this question because particularly for yourself, you uh, were there the longest from anybody in the revolution. Um, You're going into the Sign of Times band, Love Sexy band. Right. You you were in that, too. Tell me, if you can, what were sort of the differences, in your opinion, between the two bands sonically and the way it sounded? Well, the, the, the the people that were in the the group with Sheila E on drums, you know, she, that was the whole, uh, Oakland Sheila E band people that mm-hmm. came on board, like with Levi and, and, uh, Miko, uh, Le- Miko, you had Miko, Levi, Sheila, you are. And then of course, you know, Eric Leeds was our, and Matt Bliston, Eric brought Matt Bliston with him from Pittsburgh. And, uh, Eric was brought in by Alan Leeds, who was Prince's and our tour manager for a number of years. And then later, you know, as you know, became manager of Paisley Park Records for a while. And, you know, he, he worked with James Brown for many years. Mm-hmm. And now he's out with D'Angelo. And, you know, Alan is a really great uh, music business person and management type person to, to have around and tour manager, very experienced guy. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, long story short, uh, differences, uh, there was, there was differences because you had the Oakland funk sound came in with okay. it as opposed to the, you know, Lisa and Wendy's influence was very big on Prince. They were from LA, not the, not the, that makes a difference where their location was, but they grew up in with uh, in families that were very musical. Their fathers were were both highly sought after session players in Los Angeles. Uh, Lisa's father was an extremely talented uh, percussionist. Wendy's father was one of the main jazz piano innovators of the bebop piano sound of bebop jazz sound and uh so they grew up with that that was just in their blood um i don't remember ever talking to levi about his family's musical background if his father was musical like or mother i don't remember um we all know sheila came from that background with the the father being the master percussionist, Latin percussionist. So they all grew up with that from the day they were born. Prince too. So we, and and I was influenced by my parents because they were uh, in theater and musical theater. So the music was brought in, but it was theater. Uh, And I was, you know, they both graduated from the university of Minnesota with theater degrees. So I was brought into theater actually too, along with the music. When I was growing up, I was acting in plays and doing all kinds of things. I, I, I could have gone in any direction. I could have been an actor or a musician. I don't know. I decided to go with music to concentrate on that. But okay. um, the, the thing is, is that uh, everybody had a great deal of 
influence in their upbringing at an early age, and that's why they were all so good at what they did in different ways. You know, Lisa and Wendy came from that background um, and had this really amazing technical knowledge, and so did the the Oakland people, and they were funky as hell, you know, as we all know how funky and they were, but then Sheila, as funky as she was, is she she was latin influenced Mm -hmm. more than anything the latin percussion thing which we all know is extremely technical and not easy to do so uh she's an amazing player she's just absolutely you know over the top (laughs) you know (laughs) so right right it it was really really a a great thing to to play with her too and of course bobby z has his strengths as a player and he's just a solid as a rock kind of guy, you know, and technically adept. Um, so okay. it's all, all, everybody had their strengths, you know. What, um, I wanted to ask you about like the rehearsal process and the touring. Um, from something like the 1999 tour, <clears throat> Purple Rain, and then when you get into like Sign of Times tour, and then in my mind, this colossal. Love Sexy show between uh, you know Purple Rain rehearsing for that and, and, and coming up with that show was it getting that the rehearsals and were, were more sort of complex or was it getting to the point where this thing was getting really big in terms of the show aspect of it uh, for something like Sign of Times I remember when I first saw that movie and saw what you guys were doing I was blown away I was like wow you know you the stage and just everything that was going and just seemed like it was just kept getting bigger and bigger and to the point where you get to love sexy where it's just in the round and stuff but how was that for you as a musician in the band was it a lot more work to get those shows together i would say they were pretty similar in their length of rehearsals time that it took and the technical aspect because even though Purple Rain seemed to have a more simple, you know, stage to it, there was still a lot of um, lighting cues, okay. and uh, and I mean, really, the difference is just the stage sets. Really, they kept those get got more complex, and then when you had that that crazy round stage with all the moving parts for Love Sexy, then it then it got really um, more challenging because you're you're moving people like you know blocking that show you know doing all the uh the choreography and where people had to be on stage and where mm-hmm. they were supposed to go and do and back and forth on that huge stage that got crazy that took more time that took a lot of work that the people had to remember their marks and <laughs> except me because i've just sat there in one place and got to go up and down on a elevator <laughs> that's about it you know as long as i stood there i was fine and danced a little bit but no i didn't have to worry about jumping around all over the stage now of course you know back then i i said to prince i said hey you know you should let me uh do a solo with a uh strap on keyboard and walk around and he oh. said no 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 i don't want you to do that so he was always uh not in favor of that idea hmm. later on after i left the group he decided that that was a good idea oh all to right, try right. with uh Tom. my my successor but uh anyway um in the meantime, uh, that show was the most complex show. Was Love Sexy? I don't think he's done anything like that since. No. Um, of course, the symbol stage that he came out with in the last uh, several years 
is interesting and i thought that was kind of different and a challenge although i didn't think it was the most conducive um staging for to make the show easier it seemed mm-hmm. like it was all over the map with that like yeah it was tricky how you <laughs> place people on it and right. all that so i i i don't know that one i i didn't think is was as cool but, uh, uh oh go ahead go ahead yeah but that's it uh, I, I got to ask you this. This is one of those questions fans always wonder. Uh, the Black Album. Yeah. What is, from your your knowledge, whatever you can share, why do you think that record was didn't come out, that album? Well, there have been some books out there written by different people <laughs> right? that you may have read. I have. And, uh, I have. Let's assume we've read them all. We've We've read read them, yes. We've read some books. I'm not really privy to much of that, other than what I've read that it's um, stories that have come out from certain people out there about it. Um, At the time that you know, I had the album in my hand. It was you know because like he always did. Here's your cassette. Go learn this album. Some of the songs we already had been jamming on or that I, I knew, but then the rest of the album would be handed to us because he would do it all in the studio. And then I would have to go learn it and chart out my charts and bring them to rehearsals and, you know, attempt to uh, learn and memorize everything. So we started getting that song, uh, that album underway for learning and rehearsing. And then all of a sudden he pulled the rug out and said, uh, we want the tapes back please hand your tapes back in Hmm. and we did and then we didn't know why at the time there was i I didn't know anything about it and then later many years later i got the story from somewhere i don't even remember what it was but i got some story about it as to why he changed his mind about it and it had (laughs) a lot to do with the the content of the music he felt that it was too dark and not something he should put out there and that's basically what i was told okay so you know i either want to dispel or if you can't i'm saying having to do with like drug use or any of these sort of other stories we've heard he has Mm -hmm. type of experiences Mm -hmm. yeah well prince prince was always anti-drug since i've known him he early on he he was dead set against anybody in the band drinking even he didn't like it when you drank or smoked or anything you know mm-hmm. um, and 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 drug usage was strictly forbidden even though in those days i personally like to smoke a little pot Uh-oh. Uh, you know <laughs> and of course i quit all that and by 1980s early 86 i quit all kind of uh, substances that were going on in those days and of course i had friends who would come out to the shows and they would come backstage and then they invite me to parties and they they always wanted to do cocaine and Oof. smoke marijuana and people over the years since the time I was in junior high offered me drugs there was I was offered LSD I was offered uh, quaaludes I was offered you name any drug out there I was been offered drugs by people wow. personally I never tried anything more than marijuana or cocaine uh you know in the 80s cocaine was a very as as rick james said you know <laughs> cocaine's a powerful drug so man that's, not, that's crazy you know the thing is that i quit all that 
I stopped it all uh, in the mid '80s, and I've been off of that ever since. And I, I don't even do anything. I don't smoke. I don't very hardly drink. And Prince would be proud of me for my lack of substance <laughs> usage. The thing is, is I know he remained substance free for many years, and then I kept hearing some rumors that maybe not. He started experimenting with some stuff, but I don't know any details, and it's not my business. Yeah, we, we, so yeah, so we don't go into all that. <laughs> and I know I can tell you, he's probably after that little stage of experimentation. I'm pretty sure he's he's good. not doing that anymore. We hope not. We hope no, not. I don't think so. So, all right. Um, so, sign of the times. That whole period. Not excuse me. Uh, Love, sexy. You guys do the show, the tour. But then it seems like the lineup starts to change again in the band. And um, did, what, what, was, was, what was that about? What was, what was the band called after the uh, Love Sexy band? Was it an MPG? Oh, yeah. It became, that became the MPG at that point. Well, you know, really the MPG was really the Love Sexy era, too. Okay. It, it had become the NPG uh I think at that point is what he started calling it. But really, you know, the Batman album era, mm-hmm. which was the new, the, the tour, the last tour I did of 1990 in Europe, that was uh, new to me. A, um, that was the, definitely in, in the, called the NPG at that point. What was, so what, again, you were still sort of the last man standing, right? Uh, now you have new people in, you have, uh, Tony M and uh, oh, Rosie. God damn, I can't. Uh, yeah, Rosie Rosie comes Gaines in. Was there. Uh, she came in to replace Bonnie. You know, Bonnie had done. Passed uh, away? What's that? I said, well, I don't think she had passed away at that time. Well, not, nothing, nothing. Yeah. No, Bonnie was still around. She, Bonnie passed away in 1997. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Right, Bonnie, she did the record with um, did a couple. I think she did one with Shock G and them. Uh, Really? She Kishy, did something with Shock G? She was on the Kishy Back song. I think she's in the video. Really? Yeah. I don't know that. I know she's in the video. And then she did that song with uh, Rafael Sadiq as well um, from the Poetic Justice soundtrack. But anyway, uh, the new, the, or the MPG and the new uh, the new band again. I mean, what was your thoughts again of, of, of this, the new people coming in? Uh, Michael B., new drummer, right? Uh, any thoughts on that band? And and I, I assume is the music st- kind of changing a little more hip hop influenced in the music. Yeah, it. Uh, I liked it. It was good. It's all good, you know. Um, it was uh, certainly different, <clears throat> but um, I did enjoy it. Okay. Um, well, I, let me ask you this: a few things, other questions. I know people want to ask about. People always throw this out there: uh, Roadhouse Garden. Yeah. Oh yeah. What do you know about you Roadhouse Garden? Say that again. I said, what do you know that you can share about? Was it actually an album? I, I mean, I've heard the song, and I've heard our destiny and uh, things of that nature. But was this something that was really sort of being put together as a project? Yeah, they, there there was an album underway, and I did work on it a little bit in the studio as a session player on that project. But then the breakup of the revolution took place during the middle of it so that's oh. why it just kind of sat there and didn't do anything 
Wow. Now, it sounds like you guys had some of these songs done well before even Purple Rain came out. Um, it's possible. It's okay. possible that some of them were, yeah. Wow. Um, well, oh, you know, Mike, real quick, and talk, since we're on that general topic there, if you, if you, ha- if you could pull something from the vault, what, what track would you pull from the vault to be heard? If there if there were songs in the vault that I have that I would like to hear mm-hmm. that you released, would that you would want to be released because of for whatever reason that's a tough question for me because you know I'm not really <clears throat> sure about what's in there you know I I wasn't really there was maybe only a handful of times when I actually would peek into the vault <laughs> if I was at Paisley you know I'd, it, the door would be open and I'd walk by and I go oh look at that wow look at all that music what's gonna happen with that but well, no, I, well, <laughs> let me ask you this then do you remember a song in particular that you guys did that hasn't come out and you'd be like man that song should have came out. That's what I mean. Um, bub, bub, bub. Let me think about that for a second. Um, I can't think of anything okay. right now. I know that I've had uh, people like from overseas uh, gave me bootleg copies of some things <laughs> once a long time ago. Somebody was in town here from France and they had a double album of like different mixed versions of songs that were released and then right. different things that were not, that had never been released that came out of the vault mm-hmm. and how they escaped the vault is beyond me. <laughs> and I know that this is a bone of contention with Prince. He doesn't appreciate, uh, people who may have been in his organization sure. that may have lifted some things from the vault. Mm-hmm. So it could have been engineers, could have been bodyguards, could have been who knows. Right. Um, so, what do you think of that when you hear? When, you know, you're like, "Wow, we had all this music." <laughs> well, the, the the songs I heard were things that he did again by himself that oh, were on okay. this particular um, bootleg, and of course the mixes were were not great because they weren't finished. Gotcha. They were okay, but they weren't like sounding polished. And then, you know, it, it, and the songs were songs I'd never heard of because no. I wasn't privy to them. I never worked on them. So I don't know. Somebody absconded with some songs and released them. And that's all I know. Uh-huh. So I, I, and then as far as songs that I may have played on that I, that I never got released, that I'd wished had been released, I can't think of any. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you if you remember. I'm going to go very obscure here for a second because it's something that's funny to me. But there's there are a lot of these, as you said, bootlegs out there. Not even not of just the music that you never heard of, but a lot of the record, uh, rehearsal sessions. Mm-hmm. There is a rehearsal session thing out there, and it's from a Purple Rain rehearsal because uh, you guys are playing that type of music, and you could kind of tell the style. But there's mm-hmm. a part in there where Prince screams out, and he says. Would you put the motherfucking rec- uh, magazine down and play your part? Do you, do you remember any sort of situations like that? Was that a rehearsal that came out in the rehearsal? It was hey, a rehearsal, yeah. It was definitely. Would you put the motherfucking magazine? That's a good one. I don't. 
I, 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 I wonder playing. who he was talking to. It wasn't me. <laughs> I, I would have never had a magazine going during a rehearsal. You guys I, were playing uh, Free. I believe the song Free was like a whole bunch of takes of Free. Okay. And well, I don't know who was reading a magazine. <laughs> I don't know if he's joking or, or I just I don't know if you even remember. Well, I mean, how were, were rehearsals ever tense? Where was were like, they ever tense? Um, like if you didn't get your they, part they, right. all, they, they were only tense if you showed up and didn't know your stuff when you got there, which happened rarely. But there were a few moments that I recall when I was unprepared or for whatever reason, it was either due to lack of time because something got in the way to be ready in time with the song and show up at rehearsal properly mm-hmm. or, uh, and that happened a couple times. And when it did, he was not a happy camper. <laughs> 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 and, and then you would, huh. you would get in trouble and he would scold you in front of everybody and say, okay, everybody take a break. Fink's got to learn his parts. Oh boy. <laughs> and then everybody would take a break and I'd have to, I would kind of feel like sheepish and embarrassed and I would have to, sit there and work on my stuff and that would happen you know that happened to several people over the years i, I know they that that could happen to just about anybody sure. so um yeah i learned to to make sure i was prepared and because it, it was very um a dedicated professional organization you had to really be on your your stuff and mm-hmm. you know that was it well, you said it happened to everybody would that happen to prince say that again you said that could happen to anybody. Would that happen to Prince as well? Uh, no, usually not. He usually knew his stuff, he, you know, because it was his music, and he, he he was usually very well prepared. But he made mistakes. I mean, he even made mistakes during shows on rare occasion. But he very did. True. He made a few. Yeah, he made a few, but nothing nothing severe where <laughs> the audience would know or say, "Oh, he really screwed that up," or you know, not nothing to that extent. But um, you know, when you guys made mistakes during shows, would they would he dock you for that? No, no, he never do anything oh, like okay. that. <laughs> he, wasn't, no. he wasn't doing the James Brown. No, he never docked anybody. Um, he threatened to dock you a few times, if you were late, like if you were late coming to rehearsal or late to to leave to go to the next town. If you're traveling and you had to be in the lobby at a certain time, there were rules from the tour people you know like hey don't be late for lobby call don't be late getting on the plane don't be late well you know whatever i mean mm-hmm. there was just late lateness was not tolerated um but as far as uh mistakes if there was a really horrendous thing that happened or a problem you know he would talk to you personally about it and say what happened and why that happened and you know can't happen again and <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> but that'd be about it. Let me ask you this. Um, what was your favorite period of time? Uh, as a My favorite time frame yeah. yep. with him, working <clears throat> with him? I'd say the Purple Rain era. Okay. Just because the, at that point, by that, up to that point, uh, the the collaborate there was the most collaborative time with the band and uh, um, I enjoyed that side of it and um, and then of course the massive success of it all mm-hmm. and and you know to be able to there were trade offs though at that point because you you had this uh, you became very famous but then at the same time 
it, you couldn't go in public and without being recognized all the time and mm. people you know maybe bugging you in, in public places so that there's a trade-off there well I, I, i'm jumping to your personal were you married at the time that purple rain was it say that again were you married at the time that no purple i was not oh. i was not no Let's not follow up on that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just wondering. Uh, Doc, I got a question. Um, since Purple Rain, that era was your most, um, you know, favorite time. How did the vibe come about? How did this was the decision made to play different songs at encores? Because during that tour, you guys played multiple nights in various cities, and I got to see the show in San Francisco two nights. One night, you guys came out and played America after the last encore. One night, you didn't. How did that call or calls like that come about? I'm sorry. You'll have to repeat that whole question one more I, time. You're killing me, Doc. Killing me. Um, I'm sorry. Something was distracting me. See? Okay, okay. During okay. the Purple Rain tour, which is your favorite yeah. era, uh, during that tour, you guys would play multiple nights in various cities. On some nights, you would play different things on the month after the encore. On some nights, you wouldn't. For instance, you guys played America in San Francisco one night and on the next night didn't play it. How did a decision like that come about? Oh, that was always uh, his decisions to make show changes on short notice. And then he would let us know and if something had to change, we'd rehearse it sound check. All right. Uh, jumping real quick to another album, Madhouse Project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, did you play on that first Madhouse album? No, I did not play on it. Did you play on the second one? Uh, yes, I did. I played on one of the songs on there with Sheila and Levi and Eric and okay. uh, whoever else was on it. Yeah, that was. I think that was the last song in the album, maybe. The 16, I guess. Yeah, I think it was 16. But you played uh, when you guys did it live. You played the songs. I did the live, uh, the only tour of this during the warm up back for Sign of the Times in mm -hmm. Europe. Yes. What, what did you, was, what'd you think of that project? I mean, it was something different for Prince to put out there? Yeah. Well, I I, I like the project very much. Um, they were in a bit of a pinch because the keyboard player that originally had been brought on board to do the tour with Eric and Levi and the drummer at that time. Um, I think his name was Dale Alexander. Alexander. I did the tour. Uh, actually, I, I stepped in for the keyboard player. I, I volunteered to take over for him because the, the, the Madhouse thing wasn't going to happen and they weren't going to be able to find somebody on short notice, someone technically able to deal with that kind of music. So... I volunteered uh, because I liked the music and I wanted to, I, it was a challenge and it was, uh, I wanted to help them. I wanted to make sure that they could pull it off and make it happen. So that's mm -hmm. why I went on, made the decision to throw my hat into the ring. <laughs> um, the Revolution, your other bandmates, are you still close to any of them today? Uh, I still keep in touch with all of them. Oh, okay. All right. From yeah. time to time, yeah. Cool to hear. Yeah. If, there's, if, there's pretty regular communication with everybody. If Mr. Prince called tomorrow, uh -huh. he was like, he's like, listen, Matt, we're going to do it one more time. 
<laughs> I need you for a month, brother. Yeah. Would you go? Yeah, absolutely. He knows that, too. He knows that uh, I'm ready to go anytime he wants to. One more time. That's right. Man, I would, I would set up a direct deposit for you guys. If it was my money, I said, listen, take my money. I'm there. Like, that'd be well, the easiest show for y'all to do to get me. I mean, I know a lot of people would just be like, they don't care what it costs. Well, I'm ready to go because I've been out playing for three and a half years now with my Prince tribute show, The Purple Experience. I don't know if you guys are yeah. aware mm-hmm. of that. Now, does yeah. that, is that a unit tour? Because a lot of people have been asking you know, about taking it on the road because a lot of people would love to see it. Well, there is a possibility of a tour happening next year. Uh, right now, everything we do is booked strictly on weekends, and we'll fly in and out and do various venues and casino. We're doing a lot of casinos, doing corporate events, mm-hmm. some clubs, depends on the club. And like we were just down in Atlanta a couple of weekends ago playing at this uh, venue called 37 Main, which you know holds about 1,500 people. Nice. And uh, they specialize in tribute acts. That's all they book oh, there. Nice. So uh, we played there quite a bit, and we were the group that they chose to open their new their new venue, which is where we played. They've had a, a smaller one, which we started out in a few years ago, and uh, they liked us so much that they've asked us back uh, several times a year. And then we were we were the inaugural band for the opening of their new bigger venue. Hmm. Yeah. Has has Prince ever expressed any? interest or acknowledgement of your tribute band um (laughs) not really (laughs) he's uh i don't know he's kind of neutral on it i think gotcha um oh go ahead ahead. um i'll go ahead and jump in and i'm going to change gears for you a little bit so i apologize how did you get involved with the horror movie soundtrack cover albums and are you a horror movie fan uh, say that one more time. One of our um, Facebook people has asked, how did you get involved with the horror movie soundtrack cover albums? Oh, that whole thing. The, the, yeah. you mean the, the, the horror film and sci-fi film soundtrack? Yes. Well, yes. After, I, after I left Prince, uh, I became a staff producer for a local company here in Minneapolis called uh, KTEL Records. And they were doing these specialty album projects, so oh, that's yeah. how I'm I became involved. Yeah, so they they were coming to me to, you know, recreate those soundtrack albums for them. Okay. So that is so cool. Yeah. Also, I see that you did a, a an acid sample loop package or something. I did. I did some Sony acid, a couple different really? Sony acid loop libraries. Yeah. Wow. That's, a, wow. that's a trip. That is. Yeah. For us non-musicians, why don't you tell us what the hell that is? Sorry. Uh, well, the, the uh, Acid uh, software by Sony is a software that allows you to create music if you're not a musician and you want to grab uh, specific pieces of music and make them, turn them into songs. You can like have a, a drum groove and then find a bass part and then another part and make them all fit together and, and turn it. Or, or you can record, uh, you know, some things as well. So it just, it just depends, you know, on, uh, I mean, you can, you can make it work like a regular uh, Pro Tools system 
and record it and do the looping at the same time or take the snippets of material. So they, they have a huge library of material to choose from, and you can play against that too if you like, if you're a musician. So that it, it kind of goes both ways. It, it gives the non-musician the ability to create material and musicians alike to use those libraries and create and add on to them things you know if you know what i mean yeah yeah i've edited cool. this show with acid sometimes uh, you've done some things with acid uh the, the <laughs> software <laughs> you said you have done no I've, 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 I've used this i've used the software uh, to do sound effects for the podcast so, ah okay yeah okay. Used it for a while. uh last two questions one sure. um have you continued to follow prince's music over the years yeah, I always stay on top of what he's okay. doing. What, what yeah. do you think of Third Eye Girl, the latest band? Well, I think they they have their great qualities, you know. I mean, just like anything he ever does, he he doesn't bring on people that are uh don't have their act together, you know. So right, right. it has its um merits definitely. All right. So, you know, people I enjoy listening to it. And uh, I've liked every incarnation of whatever he does. I haven't found any thing I could criticize about any of it, really. Okay, okay. Um, I lied. I, I got thrown one quick one, and then one, and then I'm gonna wrap, wrap it up. One is, what do you think of the music business today? You being a musician, you having a studio, and been in the business for a while. Where, where do you see music business going uh, at this point? You know. Oh, boy, <laughs> this is something <laughs> we've been talking about a lot lately uh, amongst musicians, groups, and uh, everybody. This conversation comes up often Magic. because of the uh, transition that's taking place right now. Mm -hmm. um, you think there's hope for musicians today? Like, is, or is it going to be harder or easier? Um I don't think it'll ever be what it was in the sense of uh, the era before the the iTunes era and the MP3 era when it, when uh, about year 2000 or so is when things started transitioning and and it became apparent that all of the downloading of material and then file sharing of songs was going to hurt sales and that the record labels really weren't very good at containing it. They couldn't contain the, the damage that was taking place to all the artists. So right now you, you've got Spotify and you've got uh, the new Tidal uh, streaming company, which it looks like Prince seems to be uh, mm -hmm. embracing by releasing material there. There's been speculation that he's a, an investor in it, possibly. We don't know that yet. Uh, but regardless it's never. It's probably going to be too difficult to uh, get the kind of album sales that people used to have, unless you, you know, you have certain artists that just break through enough that everybody wants it. Right. A lot of like I remember when Adele had her big year, she sold millions of records worldwide. I remember the sales still being up in that eight million range, which was the kind of album sales people would have had if they were a huge artist in the eighties. Mm -hmm. Now maybe and nine and nineties for that matter. Nowadays, uh, like last year, I believe the, the biggest selling record was a Taylor Swift album, which I think did a million copies. And that may have been in combination of downloads and 
physical CDs. Mm -hmm. So the physical CD, as we all know, is phasing out and streaming music seems to be what's taking over. And then there's the big complaint that uh, they're not paying enough royalty rate to the artist. So this has to somehow change, and I don't know who's going to get control of it. Now, Tidal is claiming that they're going to pay more out to the artist. Tidal costs more to subscribe to, but in exchange for that, you get um, high-resolution audio. Whether the consumer wants high resolution and if it matters to them, I don't know. Everybody's using used to MP3s, right? MP4 format on uh, iTunes, of course, which is a little better. But I know that sound engineers have complained for years about that the sound quality of MP3s and MP4s, and I agree that it's not the best. So hopefully, title will catch on. Hopefully they will pay more out to the artists. Uh, hopefully people will keep buying albums. Uh, vinyl seems to be coming back a bit right now. Mm-hmm. And if, if people want to go go back and get a turntable and start using vinyl again, I think that could help. I don't know if it'll ever return to you know the levels where things were before vinyl went out of style. So it's all very uh, in fluid flux, changing, uh, and we'll just see how it all works out. There's not much you can do other than just uh, get out and play. If you're an artist, you got to go out and play live. People always want live music. That's why I'm out playing. And yes, the, the Purple Experience is not the only thing I do. I play with other artists and other bands as well. Okay. Uh, but uh, the Purple Experience is a great outlet for me and for uh, the fans to hear the music because they can't always uh, go see Prince. And he's not always going to that particular person's city, you know. And you guys, I would imagine you guys do like the song Hit, stuff like that, right? No, we don't do that one oh. at the moment. Yeah. We don't play that one live, and um, just because it's um, we're we're playing. Um, it depends. We have done it, but really, we're family friendly. I got uh, you. that song's a little too racy for. <laughs> just do instrumentals. <laughs> so you can hear that solo, man. Yeah, but we're also a five-piece band. We don't really have a, a woman in the group right now. Gotcha. We did start out as a six-piece with a woman, but we don't have a female in the band at the, currently. Okay. Uh, that could change, but uh, in order to do that song properly as a duet, you really do need a female right. uh, singer in the group, a female right. voice, in my opinion. Yeah, I was just going to double down on what you were saying about the music industry. I would recommend everyone go get a book. This book, new book just came out. It's called How Music Got Free. Uh, but the book is interesting because it tells parallel story of Doug Morris, you know, was the head, mm-hmm. was the head of uh, Universal and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also tells the story of the guy who created the MP3. And it also mm-hmm. tells the story of the young man, I can't think of his name, but he worked at uh, one of Universal's CD plants, and he was the guy that was leaking all the albums over the years. And you just mm-hmm. read these stories, how they intercut with each other from decisions that were made to where we're at today. It's a very interesting book. I think you would definitely get a, a, a kick out of it, uh, Matt. And it's called what again? Uh, how Music Got Free. 
The How in- Music Got Free. Okay. Yeah, just look that one up. It just came out this year. Very, very good. Uh, I think I remember hearing about the book now, yes. Okay. How Music Got Free, yes. And, uh, yeah, no, it, 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 it it's just going to be uh, interesting. It'd be nice if um, the buying public would uh, really purchase more music now instead of, you know, sharing, file sharing so much. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just feel like their attention is... There's so many other things vying for the attention, man. It's like, you know, when I was a kid, it was all about the music. But now I think yeah. kids now are got so many other things that they can get into where they don't, there's just not the emphasis on the musician or the artist like it used to be, you know. Yeah, but uh, video games are a big, uh, a big uh, income big. generator. So yes, they are. you've got that and movies, you know, there's a lot of entertainment outlets so for sure for sure that's why i'm sure that's why uh last thing and we're and this definitely the last one i was just curious what did you think uh when paisley park the studio first opened seemed like that was a huge thing for you know guys got his own studio this huge complex what did you think about that i thought it was a great opportunity for him to expand and become the motown of minneapolis Mm. But uh, I know he attempted to go there, um, but for whatever reason, he eventually decided to not run it commercially. And then, you know, there were a few times when he said he was going to reopen for commercial usage, and then he tried it briefly, and then he shut it down again. So it just depends. I don't know if he'll ever reopen it for commercial use uh, at this point. But uh, it did well for a while. Yeah, I think as far as I know, they they ran it well. Okay, so uh, there's still hope. I don't know. All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to say thank you for coming on very much uh, for sharing your stories and giving us the time. Uh, very appreciated of that. Also, wanted to uh, ask you where can our listeners find you online? Is there a place where they can get plugged in with you and what you got going on? Yeah, I mean, I have my personal Facebook page. Uh, it's listed as Matthew Fink, not Dr. Fink. And then uh, the Purple Experience Facebook page is a good place where you can keep up with uh, where the band will be playing. All right. We'll yeah. definitely check that out, man. And then there is a website, too, the thepurpleexperience.com. All righty. Yeah. Well, thank you again, sir. Uh, You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Doc. All right. And thank the listeners. Thank you guys for listening. All right. Well, have have a good uh, evening. Uh, Okay. You too, man. (laughs) You too, Doc. All right. Take care. See. Thanks. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So you've been listening to the good doctor. Uh, He's been blessing us with some good stories and stuff. What'd you guys think, man? I thought it was great. He was real open and real, real friendly. That was good. Yeah, it was some good stuff. Well, we, so you know, we, we got uh, we've got Doctor Fink now. We've got Andre Simone, uh, Des Dickerson, uh, Tyka Nelson. So we, we, we gradually get more people. Don't let us get Wendy and Lisa on here now. You're homing in, Mike. Oh. That's the homing in. <laughs> well, we'll see. All right, ladies. Oh, you know, we actually got another uh, young man. Uh, who's a part of the MPG Horns? We're gonna, I'm gonna get him on here. I was talking to him today. Uh, we're gonna make that happen. He would have came on today, but 
he's in Europe right now in a whole different time zone. So we'll figure that out. Um, but with that, hey, listeners, Podcast Juice family, Prince Podcast family, I hope you enjoyed this one. Um, look up Mr. Uh, Matt Fink on Facebook and tell him thank you for coming on the show. Uh, tell him, you know, let him know that you heard this and you appreciate him coming through. And hey, like I always say about this time, work it like a job. We'll see you next time. Peace.